1: Welcome to the Action Network podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan. All right, here we go.
2: It's the most wonderful time of the
1: year. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Action Network podcast. This is the college football Bowl betting preview part four. I'm stuck in with me, as always, is Colin Wilson. Uh, I'm ready to argue over this college uh, <laughs> championship line. and uh, But but the, but it's set. We have, and we're going to go over the games quickly, and then we're going to get to a ton of bowls. Bowls all through New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. We're going to get to a lot, but we're also going to talk. Uh, you know, just a will touch on the college... Uh, Football National Championship opening line, which is in like, I don't know, 30 days or something. We'll recap yesterday's games, too. So let's let's start there. Well, first of all, what's going on, Colin? And uh, how was your weekend?
2: Uh, everything's going great weekend-wise. Um, so spending some time with family out of state in Phoenix, enjoying some time with some family. Uh, you know, listen, I know that you and I are going to get it. Ar- I saw your tweet yesterday about you and I get an argue about the college football playoff. And I don't know how you make a case for anybody to go up against LSU right now. They The domination, like Vanderbilt played LSU better than Oklahoma did. I mean, 700 total yards is insane. So right now, the number is absolutely insane. Is, is The problem is, is, are we not adjusting power ratings at, at some warp speed, Star Wars? you know pace that we've never had before can, can we not catch up with what this LSU team has been since the Ole Miss game or is it that yes. you know yeah and maybe it maybe that's what it is and I think they proved that with OU well they have proved it all year like
1: honestly they go into Alabama and they put up 45 I mean with the Ole Miss they put up 58 put up 56 on Arkansas put up 50 on Texas A&M they covered against Florida you know, against Mississippi State, they covered. You go back when they won at Texas, they put up 45. The list goes on and on and on. And then against Georgia in a game okay. we thought Georgia could compete in against a great defense, 37-10. Proving it over and over again, they're, they're just that good. I don't see how anyone can stop them. Well, now, I can't bet them now. I mean, maybe I should just blindly. But I wanted a pick so bad, and I knew I wasn't going to get it after what happened, so then I wanted minus three so bad. Now that's, I mean, that's, it just never popped
2: uh, real after. And now it's out to LSU five and a half. There's some six out there, it's like at the Fan Duels of the world, and, uh, and some, I think DraftKings actually popped a six and a half juice for there for a while. But I, I, listen, Jalen Hurts' longest run was 12 yards. Jalen Hurts had 14 carries for 43 yards. He was OU's biggest weapon. And he was completely shut down. Kennedy Brooks' longest rush was eight yards. I mean, Oh, you didn't get anywhere against these guys. And this was supposed to be one of the highest success rate offenses. I mean, that was the big complaint with us with LSU. Is I said this is in the middle of the season. You can't win the national championship if you're not playing any defense. And LSU was having just missed tackles and angle problems. It wasn't X's and O's. And obviously, they've got that figured out. So I don't want to play Monday morning quarterback where I sit here and say nobody can beat them. And Clemson is lucky to be in this game, but that is actually the truth. I mean, Ryan Day with the you know some questionable decisions on you know making a punt. There was questionable decisions from the referees the entire freaking game. How did
1: they overturn that fumble? People on Twitter were screaming at me thinking I had Ohio State. Mm-hmm. I had the under and Clemson live. That was my only positions on the game. You can't overturn that. Like, uh-huh. maybe if you called it incomplete, you can say stands. I was like, shit, this under now might be in trouble. I was like, they're not going to overturn this. And then I saw I saw the pad out. Once you see the, the pad and pen, you either get sick to your stomach or you get really happy based on what you have. So then you know they're overturning it. And I said, wow,
2: they're really uh-huh. overturning this call. That was uh-huh. shocking. For it to go under, I would say, is a little bit fortunate, I guess. But, I mean, this total here at 69, it's trending down 68.5. I think at 67, I'll be a big buyer on the over because is LSU going to be able to put that up on their own? My gosh.
1: Yeah, but I just think the biggest difference with LSU is that it's the defensive improvement. It's the health of Grant Delpit, and they've shown that over the past month. The offense has been elite all year. You had early in the year when you had Vanderbilt put up like 35. This defense is now on another level, and also the special teams are elite. They're all the huge advantage there against Clemson. But we're, we're going to get on to this. But let's talk about just the Clemson-Ohio State. The reason that I really wanted uh, LSU against Clemson. Now, coming into the cultural play, I think we both said we think LSU is going to win it. But you saw, obviously, Clemson is a great team. There's no doubt about that. No one would doubt that they're a top two or three team in the country. But from what I see now, it's just one game. And again, it's just one football game. So like Clemson could beat LSU easily. There could be three fumbles and or they could come out and just play spectacular. But from what I saw on the first time that Clemson stepped up all year, and we've seen LSU step up all season, is that this team isn't as elite as the one that we saw last year. So I think that the offense can still explode, and, but the defense I just don't think is as good. And that was one of the questions coming into the year. It was They lost all these guys on defense. You know, they switched schemes. And it obviously worked against the ACC. And by the way, an ACC that hasn't looked great during bowl season. North Carolina, baby. <laughs> North Carolina, yes. And North Carolina is a team that almost beat Clemson. You know, so I just don't think that the team as a whole is as elite as last year. And I yeah. think LSU is as good of a team as we've seen in a long time.
2: I would, I would agree with you. I would. I don't think the defense is good. I mean, there's, it's really tough for me to talk about the Fiesta Bowl because I was just in shock the first few minutes of the game because of how wet the field was and how that – you know, when Dobbins took off through the, through the line, no one was catching it because nobody could get turned around on the turf. And if you know anything about what goes on down in Glendale, they just roll that carpet in. They let it sit outside. If it gets too hot, they roll it back in. They keep a tarp on it outside. And I've been down here in Phoenix for a few days now. It's been raining cats and dogs. So did do they just leave that thing like – untarped outside before they rolled it in because I've never seen an indoor, you know, turf get slipped on so much. I mean, footing was a serious issue, uh, you know, especially through the first quarter of that game. That made both teams look a little inefficient on both sides of the ball uh, everywhere. But I'll tell you what, one player that's better than what he was last year on this Clemson team is Travis Etienne. The speed of this guy and the ability to uh, uh, to be elusive around tackles and once you get your hands on them for him to break them is tremendous. But the ejection of Sean Wade is outrageous. This whole you're kicked out of the game, you know. When when you know, I mean, come on, Trevor Lawrence was <laughs> lowering. His, it, it, it's ridiculous. He was such a vital part of Ohio State's back seven, and to throw him out of the game, I said, well, this, I mean, this is the biggest turning point. Here comes Clemson, look out, because yeah,
1: there's I believe they. South scored him twenty nine seven after he went out, yeah. which is crazy. And by the way, I'm so happy that LSU just won by hundred, and that missed PI didn't mean <laughs> anything. And then we would like change the rules in college football, and we'd have to review next year. But we, we need two types of targeting, and I've been saying this forever. Like there are targeting calls where you're like, dude, that's fucked up. You got to go what the, like, like the that. OU.
2: What, what what the OU secondary guy did? Yeah, uh, that that was yeah. ridiculous. That was stupid and ridiculous, and you should be kicked out.
1: Yeah, there's some, like, when you launch at your head and, like, a missile at a quarterback's head after he releases. Like, there's some where everyone – it's like the bar test. Everyone in the bar goes, oh, wow. You got to throw them out for it. And, by the way, stop making these kids do a perp walk. They work their whole lives to go – and then they got to leave the – they've got to leave the fucking field. They can't even sit without their shoulder pads. They're watching it on a TV, on a bench. Like, there's some drunk bet, homeless better. So, that's ridiculous. Then there needs to be another rule where you say, okay, we do have to worry about player safety and – It's just 15 yards. That's it. The guy stays in the game. So
2: I I think there just needs to be a distinction between the two types of potential targeting hits. And I mean, I guess the last thing I'll say is I, I did adjust the power ratings and I actually have Clemson and LSU even right now. So I make the game a pick. And you and I both said this, we thought that it would come out to be like an LSU minus one, especially if there would be some sort of blowout scenario if Clemson made it in, but there's so much money. I mean, I was texting a couple of bookmakers in Vegas and they got more action, two-way action on it than they could ever expect. Uh, the limits, you know, I think were $50,000 over the counter and they were taking limit bets yesterday. And obviously they took a bunch more LSU for it jump up this high. I don't know at what point we're going to have to say, listen, you got to take Clemson. This number is way too high. I know that number is going to be six, six and a half, seven. Once it gets there, I don't know how you don't play Clemson, but... With- you want to get in front of this train. I, I don't know if I want to get in front of this train.
1: Look, so. I downgraded Clemson, but I upgraded LSU again. I gave them uh, just a bump on a bump because I, I can't bump them enough. So I actually make LSU now over a field goal, but I still just love them and can't see them losing, but I can't lay four, five. So that's why oh. I was like, I want a field goal or not. Because obviously the difference between like, if you, if you make them one, two, a three, you know, if you make them over a field goal, the difference between getting like one, two or three, it's not that big of a deal. Once you're over a field goal, it's obviously huge.
2: I moved them four and a half points. And for people that don't keep power ratings, this isn't week one, this isn't week two. It is a massive adjustment this time of year. I mean, it's, it's unprecedented. And listen, I, I tweeted this out yesterday. I'm not trying to give credit to other people that bust their ass on power ratings and stuff. But LSU minus eight, I was one of the ones that was heavier on LSU compared to your SP pluses of the world, compared to your Sagarin's of the world, compared to FPI. I was higher I was higher on LSU than anybody. And I had to adjust them four and a half points. And I took a little bit off of OU to make this like if there was a rematch, it'd be around 16 and a half. I still don't think that's enough. But an adjustment of four and a half points this time of year is a massive move and it's unprecedented. It's still like these are two, they're not that far apart. It's just that
1: this LSU team to me is... On a different level. Uh, but we'll have so much more on that game. Look, I'm about even for both seasons still after this weekend. But most of my biggest bets are all this week. Before we get into them, let me just recap really quickly. The weekend Notre Dame rolled Iowa State. Matt Campbell, I have so much respect for Look, drunk, and, and that team was underprepared. And, but Notre Dame's I mean, secondary. Sneak the ball on fourth down, though. Yeah. Sneak the ball. Why, or, why are you lining up a shotgun? Guns, draws. Or, or have a backup that all he does is practice snaps. With a, with a center or a backup center and have them come in and do it if your quarterback can only take – but these are kids that have played quarterback their whole lives. Like they're You're just taking a snap and moving forward. It's ridiculous, some of these fourth-down calls. Air Force beats Washington State. Semi-fortunate. Air Force wins – I mean, the service academy wins again. They're like 75% against the spread. I mean, Washington State, I had the over. I know you had the first half under, but uh, yeah. Washington State gets stopped at the 1. And the worst part about that is you know that it's now going to take an extra three minutes just for Air Force to get to the 30 where they would have started to watch the Saints go to touchdown. And it happened again later in the game. Um, and then obviously Air Force goes on like a 13-minute touchdown drive.
2: For me so. to have to have 0-0 through the first quarter and then have to sweat an under 34 for the first half, that was... They almost connected on a bomb late. <laughs> that would have been horrible. And, and, but it would have matched up with some of the other things that happened. But between that pinstripe bowl over... I, yeah, would you like to mention uh, rant of the week time?
0: All right, let it out. This is your rant of the week.
1: Wake Forest, one of the worst beats I've ever seen. They're needed. I was trading that game back and forth. That's how crazy. Like first, day it was just like, Wake scored. All right, let me get Michigan State. Michigan State scored. Let me get Wake. That's the type of game it was. They were just scoring, scoring. And then it got to 48 points with 11 to go in the game. You just uh-huh. needed one field goal. No points
2: the rest of the game. A missed field goal. I didn't even see the end of it. Yeah, I had. 41 points at halftime, and I'm sitting on an over – what, 50 and a half, 51, and we could only get a tie. And we had multiple opportunities. We had uh, multiple red zone trips, multiple field goals that were missed. I have not had a beat like that in quite a while. Like, I mean, we're talking up, pacing the house, outside the house, around the house, come back to the Twitter. And, of course, the everybody likes to chirp about, you know, this and that. I mean, there's a lot of chirping going on during bowl season. But some of the, some of the things that are happening these bowls are just so – random and percentage probability wise are just unbelievable. Just un- unbelievable to go from like a 99% cover rate down to zero. Uh, you take the good with the bad. I mean, I, I was pretty upset well, well, with that over games like that, that are so painful or that the way that they work
1: is that game. You never thought you were going to lose, right? You, you, you're basically in your head. It's a winner until then there reaches a point where you start to be like, this is going to somehow lose. And then It just becomes this feeling in your bones Uh and then you hope it doesn't happen. And then it keeps getting longer and longer and then it gets worse and worse. And then you're just watching just everything fall apart in front of you. But it's always so much worse when you didn't even see it coming. Like,
2: it wasn't even a thought. There's been a lot of losses that I've taken this bowl season that have been like a half point or one point or like the Hawaii Bowl. Like, there's just something crazy happening at the end uh, to get that. I mean, and we're going to talk about this game, but it's like, you know, I had Texas A&M minus four, which felt like a pretty comfortable cover for most of the game. And then that doesn't cover by a single point. So it's just – It's just one of those, you know, you go through a streak of this as a gambler where you have half point and single point losses where you had things covered. If you did enter a bowl confidence pool and you did read the article that we put out, it's been fantastic. We called, you know, a Kent State outright dog win. The biggest games that we had on there uh, have all covered. Iowa was uh, one of the biggest games that we had in the entire bowl confidence pool. That was able to get pulled out. Clemson was one of the biggest games we had in the bowl confidence pool. That won out. I believe the biggest loss we've taken in the bowl confidence pool is Miami. And that was only about an 18-point loss that we had. And I think everything else has been like sub-10 points. So if you read the bowl confidence pool piece, you should be doing really well because I know in the four uh, bowl confidence pools that I'm in right now, I'm winning the top five in all of them. So, uh, you know, at least we're standing well from that.
1: Yep. All right. So let's move on to the bowl games throughout the week. Uh, we'll cover everything through Thursday. We've covered a little bit of Monday on the last podcast, so we'll just go rapid fire. Western Kentucky minus three uh, against Western Michigan. This is in Dallas at noon Eastern on Monday over under 54. Do you have anything here?
2: Yeah, I definitely, I mean, I like Western Kentucky in this game. Uh, Tyson Helton uh, being named Conference USA Coach of the Year. I like this game. I, I probably liked it a little bit more, but it's kind of steamed over three and a half. So I would probably look at the under on this game because Western Kentucky has been a defensive team the entire season. I mean, they only average just a little bit over 20, points themselves but the defense has really just been lights out and I, this is a Mac team that I think that Western Kentucky is going to have some success shutting down so I definitely like the under in this I'll probably the, the reason I haven't played the under yet because I think I projected at 51 is because it keeps steaming up uh, it opened up at 53 and a half up around 55 and I'm just kind of waiting you know if you want to cross another couple key numbers that's fine with me but definitely looks like I'm going to be on the under in the Western Kentucky Western Michigan game. Yeah,
1: Mac's actually three and one against the spread. I mean, they've been hard in the in the past. Now, I always see people say, "Well, you know, you should never follow a trend blindly, except some service academy ones, because the market just doesn't know how to model them. So you always have enough money out there right. that is a lot of money because the numbers are off that are keeping these trends afloat. But with a Mac, people always say, "Well, what does that mean? Why well, just there isn't it priced into?" I think a lot of it is that they don't have, these teams don't have depth, like more than more so than other teams. The Mac doesn't, you know, they don't they don't they're not recruiting three and four. Star, you know, so if you look at Alabama, they have four and five stars and then their backups are four and five stars. The kids at the MAC get, you know, they're pretty good players. They're obviously not four and five stars regularly, but their, kid, their backup, they don't have a ton of depth. So then by the end of the season, when they're banged up or their suspensions, like their depth players aren't as good. So I, I don't think that that's adjusted enough in some numbers. And that's just a theory of mine. Um, anyway, I think I like, I like Western Kentucky a little bit too. I, I hope maybe this stuff, dicks, there's just
2: not a ton of line item to me. If it dips down under three, I might yeah. look for it live. The fact that they don't score that much makes it hard to take three and a half. So I think three, that you'd be fine with this. But I mean, obviously this has been an under team the entire season. So I would, I would look for three and not three and a half. Later in the day, Mississippi
1: State, this is a rematch of a ball two years ago when, when Mississippi State beat Lamar Jackson, actually. Mississippi State, Louisville, this is in Nashville. Mississippi State, depending on where you look, four and a half, 5.5 five point favorite, uh, over under 62.5. Now, we talked about this before. Mississippi State's defensive numbers, probably not as bad as they look because of all the suspensions all year. The explosiveness numbers are horrible, and that's not good against Louisville's top 10 in passing and rushing explosiveness. And then also, dancer their best corner is out. On the other side, Mississippi State should be able to just run it at will. They're a great running team, and, and Louisville's rush defense is horrendous. I think they're 123rd in the nation in yards per rush allowed. But my main concern here is motivation. So there's only a couple games. There's like usually about eight to ten games where I'll factor in motivation, where I think that, all right, I can maybe use this to either keep me away from a game, which I did with Miami, or push me over the edge on a game. Now, so far, it's only been a couple. And I think I'm like 2-1 in those games. Like, I used it with Central Michigan and San Diego State. Obviously failed there. Kent State, that worked. Pushed me over the edge on Washington. You know, kept me away from Miami. So, sometimes it's hard to quantify. But here, I think it could be an issue because I know Louisville will care, right? Like, Saturday will have them ready. This is a team that won two, two games last year. Now they're playing an SEC team in a bowl. So, I think it'll matter to them. It's important to the program. Mississippi State, I think they're the more talented team. The only thing is here, do they care? And does – a fight. There's a fight in practice where the defensive player knocked out quarterback Garrett Schrader. He was going to start. Now Tommy Stevens is starting. Does that signify that there's something going on with this team and they're literally fighting each other, knocking the quarterback out with their fists? Does that worry you at all? Because I know by the numbers, you like Mississippi
2: State. Yeah, I do like Mississippi State a lot in this game. I don't know if that fight and, and knocking out the quarterback is a signal of we're hungry to uh, achieve something here in the program or we are just a bunch of misfits that can't seem to have any discipline whatsoever in the program and Joe Moorhead's just being too nice to everybody. And, uh, I mean, that could be it. I I, I don't know. We'll see. I mean. This Every time we talk about Mississippi State, we have to bring up the fact that there was an eight game suspension for a number of players that they had to cascade through the season. And here we are having these kinds of things happen in practice. I don't know Moorhead needs to have like a sheriff come in and run his practices and help run his program because it just seems like there's something going on internally all the time with this team. From an x and O standpoint, I love Mississippi State in this game. Kylan Hill is going to play. He uh, declared for the NFL draft, but he's going to hang on here. He's going to try to become Mississippi State's single-season rusher for all time. You know, for Louisville, they are predominantly a run team. They are, I think, top five in the nation and rush rate. Uh, They love to run the ball, and they've lost their uh, left tackle, uh, McKay Becton. He is going to go to the NFL draft. He's projected to be a top-ten pick. He is considered the best run blocker in the nation, and that is Louisville's Identity really is running the ball with the kind of quarterbacks, the number of quarterbacks they've had under center this year. Uh, They love to run the ball, and they're going to miss their best run blocker. So, I think Mississippi State's got the certainly has the upper hand in this game, and I'll be backing them.
1: If this gets a little too high, I might look at Louisville with some because Mississippi State to me, you know, there should be some points in this game too. So, I might just look to see if I can get a really good number live. But then again, if Mississippi State comes out and goes up seven nothing, then that means that you know they might good care and come out focused so that's the kind of dance you have to do the thing is is that Mississippi State way more talented it just comes down to motivation and we'll see because there's been a couple times this year early in the year where they just look like a corpse now it's gotten better at the end of the year but we'll see whether or not that shows in this game is TBD Uh, also at the same time on Monday afternoons with two bowls kicking off the same time Monday afternoon should be like that every December we're talking about Cal Illinois Cal is a six and a half point favorite here over under 44 look when this line came out I said, well, I think s and and a couple projections had Illinois a, a huge, like a five-point favorite. So I, th- I said when this line comes out, like Illinois is a paper tiger, right? They're just – they got lucky with turnovers all year. I mean, this team is, is smoke and mirrors. We said it all year long. Uh, mm-hmm. They were extremely lucky. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't believe in this team at all. And then Cal on the other side, really good defense. But by the way, they're, Ashton Davis, I think, is their, their star safety. He's out. He's out. Their other, another safe, senior safety is out. So this Cal defense might not be as as good, especially on the back end, as they normally are. And I think the offense is better than their numbers because when Garbers is in the offense, it's a different story. And I think they were six and zero or five and zero with him, and then like two and five or one and five without him, it, which makes me want to look a little bit at the over. Um, you know it's steamed up from forty one and a half up to forty four. It's obviously crossed a you know a couple key numbers here, especially if it gets to 44 and a half, 45, but at ca- the Cal, I made it six. So I wanted to get Cal and I was hoping for a generous line here. Not happening. Uh, I leaned a little bit to the over. Not sure. I'll get involved pregame. How about you?
2: Yeah, I have taken over 43. uh, And really, it was uh, Illinois' downfield passing is going to take advantage of the fact that Ashton Davis and the Cal secondary is out for injury. But there's multiple other suspensions in the back seven for for Cal. And I think that's going to open up for Illinois to score some points here. You mentioned Chase Garbers. He did lose his second leading wide receiver to one of those suspensions. But there's eight other receivers that have at least uh, 10 receptions on the season. There's a lot of targets that he's hit. Uh, so I think this is a game where kind of people are kind of thinking it's going to be a low amount of points. That's kind of how you feel about Cal football, and, and they know that Illinois is kind of a fraud. But there's going to be points scored here. The holes in the secondary for Illinois and Brandon Peters to exploit. Cal is going to be able to put up points of their own. So I definitely like the over in this game. Fair enough. Uh, and by the way, we'll have we previews on all these games on the Action network,
1: uh, .com and the Action Network app. Uh, All right. That night, we have one game Florida, Virginia. Florida is a 14 and a half point favorite over under 55. Uh, These two teams are snailish, which is something to keep in mind from a pace perspective. One thing to mention with Florida, by the way, Dan Mullen is excellent as a favorite. He's uh, 48 and 34 against the spread uh, as a favorite in his career there was a questions especially along the defensive line like where they're going to play and it looks like everyone is going to play except for CJ Henderson in their start corner which i think is a good sign you know you know guys like Renard and on their defensive line that are playing that could have sat out and you know a couple of receivers uh, also so the fact that they're suiting up i think shows that they care as a team and you know when i look at this game it's it's i don't know if virginia can slow down florida's passing attack and that's what I think this might boil down to. Um,
2: what do you see here? But I mean, to me, though, is that I make the line 14. I, may, I make the line 16 and a half. So I am actually looking to hop on Florida if we can get a dip down to 13 and a half and 13. And there is some love in the market for Virginia. Uh, but I don't see it and I don't understand it because Virginia struggles against teams that can throw it deep and can contain Bryce Perkins. Let's talk about what Florida is. Florida's fifth in defensive havoc, top 25 in line yards of power success. That is a team that can contain Bryce Perkins and give him pressure and force him to make bad decisions. Uh, Florida's seventh in defensive sack rate. That's going to be something that Bryce Perkins is going to have a problem with. Florida's sixth in defensive finishing drives. So even if they get down past the 40-yard line. By the way, people, finishing drives matters, okay? Do your stat research and do your homework. If you're going to take a team total over, don't do it against a team that's number one in the nation in defensive drives. Just don't base it on one stat. Look at the other team. Put it together. Uh, Mm, Listen. (laughs) Listen, you can't base a bet off of one stat for one team. Do a little bit more thinking before you come out and try to be a pro on Twitter. All right, so Florida's sixth in defensive finishing drive. So this goes back to the fact that if Bryce Perkins even gets it to the 40, they're going to have a hard time scoring. Kyle Trask is finally a starter after Felipe Franks went down. Felipe Franks is in the the, uh, transfer portal, so it'll be interesting to see where he ends up. But Florida, you know this, they're all pass. They're no run. They have no running game whatsoever. So they're going to go deep. Uh, Trask is going to throw from from the second that he gets off the bus on the Orange Bowl. And, you know, Virginia's passing success rate defensively is 20th in the nation, but that's a season-long number. That's before Bryce Hall went out with injury in the middle of the season. And then everybody else in the secondary has been playing musical chairs trying to catch up, and it just hasn't been pretty. Look at the Clemson game, and Trevor Lawrence just threw all over the place. And Trask can do the same thing. I'm not saying he's Trevor Lawrence, but Trask can hit you know hit any receiver anywhere on the field. So
1: And Florida has a top five, I think, group of receivers as far as talent is concerned.
2: Absolutely. So I am am reserved to let this Florida number get down below 14, and I am reserved to let this total uh, creep up a little bit before I go Gators in the under. Fair enough. Yeah, both teams do play really slow. 113th. uh, Virginia's 113th uh, in pace, seconds per play, and Florida's 87th in seconds per play. That's slow. Yeah. Uh, Two solid special teams units. Okay. Uh, Let's move on to
1: Tuesday. Um, We will start with – Kentucky-Virginia Tech. This game is at noon on Tuesday on ESPN in Charlotte. This is the last Belk Bowl? Last Belk Bowl. Oh, boy, uh, so I know I'm going to get fucked some way, and I have that's <laughs> in this game, of course. So the, the Belk Bowl's got to send me out uh, in fashion. Um, I have the under here. I played under 46 and a half. I played under some under first half small. I'll tell you why I like it. It's one of my favorite totals of bowl season, I mean, first of all, both of these teams are snails, just complete snails. Virginia Tech, slow. Kentucky's a snail. Kentucky, all Kentucky does is run. Uh, they are basically like Army now. They can't throw the ball at all. By the way, their quarterback, Lynn Bowden, who's been amazing as a runner, he's their starting quarterback, but he's their leading receiver and leading rusher, but not their leading passer. So just try to process that. Um, but I mean, he went like one of six against, yeah, against UT Martin. So all they're going to do is run it, and they're running like their option hybrid with with Bowden. What I look at here is, you know, they give up. They do give up a lot of explosive plays. That's what a, a Bud Foster defense is always going to do. That right? They blitz, play press on the outside. I don't care about that here. Number one, I don't care about their passing explosiveness numbers. I don't care about their passing. I mean, their passing success numbers are great, but I don't care about that. Kentucky can't throw the ball, so I care about their rush numbers. Their, their rushing success. They're top twenty. They're, they do give up a ton of runs, but basically, what this comes down to, this is Bud Foster's last game, and he's had a month to prepare for a completely one-dimensional attack. And I think this defense is going to come out fired up for him, and they're going to shut down this Kentucky offense. That, by the way, with Bowden, I think their offensive numbers are really inflated because this team, this team basically go back to when Bowden took over. This team, in every single week, somehow played in a monsoon which is insane. Like every week, the Vanderbilt, Arkansas, Georgia game, which is a huge benefit to them because they don't throw, but it's just crazy. And then you have trying to tackle Bowden with in like slippery conditions at a monsoon. Um, it's go back and look at some of the, they're all in monsoon somehow for the last two months of the year. <laughs> so I do think that Virginia tech is going to really slow down Kentucky's attack. Foster's going to have them ready, you know, on the other side of the ball, Virginia Tech, they can't run the ball at all. It's a team that's, a, you know, 96 in rushing success rate, 102nd in rush explosiveness. So basically, you know, they, their offense has been a lot better with Hooker at, at quarterback, and, you know, they're top 10 in pass explosiveness. But what does Kentucky do really well? Well, they have a, they have a really good defensive line that can get to the quarterback, top 10 in sack rate. By the way, Virginia Tech's 109th in sack on the offensive line. That's one of their biggest weaknesses, their O-line. So I think they're really going to struggle with this huge Kentucky defensive front that can get after the quarterback. But Kentucky's secondary is their strength and their pass defense. Uh, their weakness is their, you know, their, their linebackers and run D. So I, I think that the Kentucky defense matches up really well against Virginia Tech. And on top of that, like I said, they're both snails. And on top of that... These are two of the better punters in the nation. So when they're punting, they're going to be flipping the field. And you saw how important that was last night with Clemson, Ohio State, until Clemson scored like an 80-yard touchdown in one second. But at the time, it was nice. But I love this under for so many reasons. That's my case.
2: I can't disagree with you. I mean, I took Virginia Tech on the opener at minus three. Uh, and it's a, for everything that you talked about, this being a one-dimensional offense that uh, Virginia Tech has had success against, uh, you, know, in, you know, top 25 in line yards. 17th and stuff, right? And really the name of the game for Virginia Tech's defense is get to Lynn Bowden Jr. before he gets out of the backfield. Virginia Tech will have massive success if they can play in the backfield of Kentucky because they do give up explosive runs. So, you know, if Bowden Jr. is able to get to the line of scrimmage, he's, he might break a big one. But, I mean, everything that you talked about, uh, I agree with you on the under. The problem is, is I had it projected at 51. So if it ticks up a little bit, I'll consider an under. But I think it's, it's priced – Uh, right now to where it's taken into account that these two teams can cancel each other out what they do well. The Hendon Hooker, you know, thing, eighth in passing explosiveness, he's he's been fantastic. He was, uh, you know, 10 touchdowns to zero interceptions until they had the Virginia game where he had two interceptions. You know, listen, Virginia Tech's been successful against dual threat quarterbacks. They were against Georgia Tech, but they weren't so much against Bryce Perkins. Bryce Perkins had a, a great day moving the chains, And beating the Hokies to get to the ACC championship game.
1: But don't you You think that also could help them? Like seeing Perkins and then also then having a month to prepare for another quarterback that's Perkins-esque with his legs. I think that could could actually work in their favor.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I just, you know, and the weather seems perfect too. It's going to be clear 50 degrees, so there's no bad weather uh, getting involved. But you're right. From a seconds per play perspective with pace, Kentucky's 124th. Virginia Tech is 92nd. So nobody's, you know, going to be running up to the line of scrimmage and hiking the ball. It's going to be an extremely slow game. And you're right. Number one punt efficiency is Kentucky. Uh, Virginia Tech's 35th in punt efficiency, but Kentucky's punt return efficiency is like 73rd. So it is definitely an under game. Uh, I wish it wasn't so much farther lower than my projection uh, or else I'd be on the under two. I'm going to stick with Virginia Tech. I just, I I believe in Hendon Hooker. He was able to hit a 50 yard pass in five of the seven games that he played I mean, we can talk about how terrible the ACC is, but it's just impressive how this kid can connect deep. So I'm going to stick with my Virginia Tech side, uh, and I'll look for a way to play the under as well. Watch the Virginia Tech offensive line. It's why I
1: think Kentucky can contain this offense. And I think the same on the other side. You have Virginia Tech's punter, Oscar Bradburn, I think he's an Aussie, was a semifinalist for the Ray Guy Award, and Max Duffy, Kentucky's punter, won it. So you have two Ray Guy semifinalists punting in this game, one of the winner. All right, let's move on. Later on Tuesday, Florida State against Arizona State. 2 o'clock on Tuesday. This game's on CBS. It's in El Paso.
0: Out in the West Texas town of El Paso. Picks up. What's
1: up, Minor Nation? We've gotten a couple Minor Nation mentions on the bowl preview pod somehow. This is in uh, Sun Bowl Stadium in El Paso. You know, this line is sitting at Yeah, I think it's ticked down to four at a lot of places. Four, four and a half. Arizona State, four, four and a half point favorite, over under 54-ish. We've talked about this a lot. Look, you have both starting running backs are out, and then Arizona State's best receiver is sitting out. And there's, you know, some coaching changes on the Arizona State side. What this comes down to, to me, is I make this closer to a pick, especially with Arizona State's two best players out, uh, on offense or two best skill position players. And then on, t- you know, when I look at the matchup from an X's and O's perspective, I say the biggest weakness of this Florida state team all year, and it was last year too, is their offensive line. Uh, their offensive line is limited so much of what they can do. And you just look at the stats. It's, it's horrendous. I mean, they're 120th in line yards. Uh, 114th in sack rate, but they're going against an Arizona State defensive line that does not get after the quarterback. Just a bad defensive line. You know, 102nd in sack rate, 94th in suffer. I mean, it's just not a good defensive line. So I think that Florida State will be able to do some things on offense. They don't do on a consistent basis against other teams that have a really good defensive line that'll just make plays that just consistently put them behind the sticks. They're getting holding penalties to so I, I don't think that's as big of a concern here. So I think Florida State is a really good shot to win this game, and and every Herm game comes down to one possession at the end. So give me the yeah. dog here.
2: Yeah, I absolutely agree. I'm I'm gonna back Florida State in this. I know if you guys go to the action app and you look, you'll see an Arizona State play and you'll see a Florida State play. But you have to realize that those those plays came like two weeks apart because the news the news came out. I knew that Cam Akers was a lock to go to the NFL and that he wouldn't play in this game. So I love Jaden Daniels and I love the weapons he had. You know Benjamin and Brandon Ayuk, and then you know we had another. Number of things happen uh for for the Sun Devils that just was not good, you know, as far as this bowl game goes. Herm Edwards fired half the offensive staff, including the offensive coordinator, just cleaned house. Then Brandon Iok and Nino Benjamin both declared for the NFL draft, decided to sit this out. Benjamin is responsible for seventy-one percent of the total rushing yard. That climbs to ninety-one percent once you take Jaden Daniels' numbers, his rushing numbers out as a quarterback. Benjamin is responsible for 91% of the rushing yards. That's a huge missing piece to this Arizona State offense. And then if you look at Brandon Ayoub and and, Eno Benjamin's receiving numbers, they are 51% of the total receiving yards, and they account for more than half of all of the targets that uh, Jaden Daniels threw this year. So, you know, I just, I couldn't sit around with an Arizona State ticket, knowing these kinds of losses that are going on, knowing that Herm Edwards cleaned out the offensive staff. Uh, and then you look on the other side of the ball, you know, Florida State has two coordinators calling this game that are heavily experienced and very well respected. Kendall Browse will be on his way to Fayetteville to be Arkansas's new offensive coordinator. And Harlan Barnett was at Michigan State and, and, and you know, he runs a four-two-five, which may be, you know, something to think about when you're looking at a total here for the, you know, looking at maybe an under. You know, there's just so much production missing off of both sides of the ball. Uh, I'm going to take the team that has the better coordinators because that's the team that's going to be able to get into the locker room at halftime, make adjustments and win the game. And that's in favor of FSU. Let's move on here to games. we got a couple games coming up that we've been agreeing here
1: to start, but we might start. Disagree. disagreeing navy i don't know if you're gonna be on kansas state here i don't i don't know but we have navy kansas state this game is at 345 on tuesday on mm-hmm. espn in memphis over under 52 52 and a half. service academy in a bowl i know navy's gonna be motivated right i mean this yeah the air after air force covered since 1980 35 and 14 against the spread what that speaks to is, I think, motivation. I know that they're going to these service academies are going to show up. Will Kansas State show up? Probably. I don't think that there's a reason to think that Kansas State wouldn't show up for this game. You know, I do think, and I think what you're going to talk about maybe is that their coach, Chris Kleiman, has seen option teams uh-huh. in the past. But this, I, I don't care if he has because he's saw tons of rushing teams. at the. But this, this defense can't stop the run. I mean, they are 111th in defending rush explosiveness. You know, Navy is an offense, two. Navy rushing success, obviously 16th, you know, Kansas state 79th on defense. You know, if you look at line yards, Navy top 25 on offense, Kansas state 89th, 109th power success rate on defense side, they're going to get pushed around all day. Navy also number one in the nation of finishing drives. We talked about that a lot uh, on the other side, you know, Kansas state might be able to hit some big plays through the air, but this Navy team can compete in the front seven. So, I. Uh, I like Navy here. Um, these are two slow teams, but I think that both will be able to move the ball. And, you know, there are also two really good special teams. But I just think that this Navy team is just going to move the ball all day long with ease. So um, Service Academy in a bowl with with matchup reasons to back it. Give me the mids. How about you? What do you see here?
2: Yeah, I really haven't taken a side on this, whether, you know, Navy or Kansas State, I actually have Kansas State power rating to win this game, but you have to go deeper into the numbers to find out exactly how each of these teams is going to win. Everything that Stuck mentioned is correct about Navy, about how much they're going to dominate on the ground. Malcolm Perry is going to have plenty of explosive plays. If you can find a prop on him going over a total yards uh, in a single play, you got to hit it because he's going to be able to do it against this Kansas State defense I think if you look at the other side of the ball there, that's where I start to lean towards the over. You know, Kansas State does not throw the ball very much. They're actually a very run-dominant team this year. But when they do throw the ball, they are 46 in passing success rate, but they're 32nd in pass explosiveness. You want to look at the biggest weakness in Navy? They're 119th in defending pass explosiveness. They can get beat deep. Now, Kansas State doesn't throw it very much. But you got to think that, you know, Clemen threw in the the tape of what Notre Dame did or the fact that SMU was able to put 28 points up through the air. Uh, you got to realize that if you can throw on this Navy team, you're going to win the game. So I I wonder what the play calling is going to be for Kansas State because if they line up and just try to run the ball, then that's not going to be good for an over. That's not going to be good for Kansas State, period. Navy will win the game. So So you 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 think game script-wise they're going to come out throwing? I think they have to come out throwing. I think they've seen where the Navy – where Navy has been hurt the most. I mean, you just pop that, you pop that SMU tape in, you pop that Notre Dame tape in, and that's just like the template to beat Navy. So I th- even though Kansas State has, is a heavy run team, and, and I think their passing rate, I, I know that they passed, they were like 116th in the nation. They don't throw the ball very much, but when they do, they are explosive. So this total sitting around on 52. My problem with that, the reason why I, I don't think it's going to be a very large investment is you look at seconds per play. You know, Navy's 115th, Kansas State's 127th. I mean you want to talk about snails going up against each other there is no hurry up or giddy up in either of these offenses so I think Navy's going to be able to explode on the ground I think if if they come out Kansas State and wants to throw the ball they're going to be able to explode through the air so that should lead to a lot of points I'm just worried about the pace of play so there's going to be an investment on the over but it's not going to be a big one it's completely based upon the fact that both these teams can expose the defense.
1: Yep. All right, let's move on to and a weird game. This is probably the weirdest bowl game of the week. Georgia State, Wyoming. Gee, it is <laughs> uh, Wyoming minus seven over under forty eight and a half. 48 and a half. These are two polar opposite teams in a way. like Wyoming's defense is so good. I mean, especially in their front seven, they were number one in rushing success on defense. Uh, their front seven just gets a really good push. They're top five in finishing drives. And then on offense, it's like there's just questions abound. Like, they can't throw it. Mm -hmm. I don't know even who's starting at quarterback. They're a snail. (laughs) They're really slow. They're 110th in seconds per play. And their special teams are decent. Then you look at Georgia State. Their special teams suck. They play really fast. (laughs) Their defense is awful. But their offense is pretty good. But their quarterback is a torn ACL. And, uh-huh. but is still going to play and uh-huh. so I don't, I don't know how to cap this game. What do you got?
2: Well, looking at the number of betting tickets uh, on this game, there's not a lot of interest in betting on this game so uh, I think it's funny you mentioned the Wyoming quarterback because I went deep into the wormhole of journalism looking to see who's going to start this game and it's like, you know, Sean Chambers hurt earlier in the season. He's definitely not going to play. Uh, Tyler Waal has put himself in the transfer portal so I, are you allowed to play for a team after you put yourself in the transfer portal? Because he's in there and that leads us to to Levi Williams, who is not really a great thrower, but he is an excellent runner uh, as a quarterback. He's uh, pretty fast for a guy who's big. He's a dual-threat quarterback, and he can actually do some damage on the ground against what is – possibly the worst rush defense in all bowl games, period, which is Georgia State. I mean, we're talking 114th against rush explosiveness, uh, 121st in line yards defensively. Georgia State is so terrible at defending the rush. And Levi well, They're Williams,
1: also terrible at defending the, the pass, to be fair, although they don't matter here. But so, so their defense <laughs> is just so bad.
2: But let's just put it this way. Georgia State is 129th defensively in finishing drives. If you can get to the 40-yard line of Georgia State, you're going to get points up on the board. Uh, and so I, th- I think Wyoming's going to have some success there. Each team won just one game in the month of November, so it's not like they're coming in on a hot streak. Uh, both teams, this is their third bowl trip since 2014, so the coaches know how to prepare uh, you know both teams are good. I'm not going to say Craig Bowles any better than Elliot, but uh, you know Javari Jackson. Uh, he's dis- he's been dismissed from Wyoming. He was their top defensive lineman. He had seven tackles for a loss and three sacks, so that's you know a big plus for Georgia State. Although don't look for Dan Ellington to run anywhere because. As Stuck mentioned, he's playing with a torn ACL, and he's been doing it for a while. So he's going to be more, you know, extremely immobile, a, a statue back there in the pocket. So was, their
1: offense, I don't know if it's the same, like, with him. You know, It's not. It's not, not, it's like, not right. Again, it's Georgia Southern. They put up 10 points, uh, 4.5 yards per play. Like, again, they played South Alabama the week before. and They put up 28, but that's South Alabama.
2: Um, right. What I want to do is that we talked about the contrast and tempo here. Georgia State is 18th in the country in seconds per play and Wyoming is 110th. We know how slow Wyoming is. But how fast was Georgia State running the offense with Dan Ellington's torn ACL in that game against South Alabama and when they needed it against Georgia Southern? So I think there's going to be maybe a deeper dive between now and New Year's Eve, uh, maybe me going back to see exactly how fast Georgia State was running plays with Dan Ellington's torn ACL. Did that change whatsoever? Uh, yeah, so they're going to go slow. This is this uh, is an underplay. Completely an underplay if they go slow. So it's, it, it's up to me to go back to look through the box score. If you see me put an under and it's because I can see that the Panthers' last two games were running as slow as possible because of the injury to Dan Ellington, although he didn't play in the last game. so. Yeah, all right. We'll put the, we'll add that to
1: the preview, um, so we'll take a look mm-hmm. and look at their pace and add that to the whole previews. That we have previews, as I mentioned, out for every game. All right, let's move on to a game I know we're going to disagree on. Texas, Utah, this line is sitting at 7 over under 55. This game is on New Year's Eve at 7.30 Eastern. I'll be down in Naples for New Year's Eve. And uh, it's New Year's Eve, an amateur night. I saw have to go out to dinner with my girl or <laughs> something. But and then I'll be parked on the couch just drinking. Is, and it, go out is and it the, the worst gym. holiday?
2: Is New Year's Eve like the worst
1: holiday for you? Like, I mean, Valentine's Day is tough because it's like right in the heart of college basketball conference play. and You're trying to figure right. some stuff out. So I'll go with that. All right. And so this line's sitting right at seven ish. Uh, I've been over this a million times. I, I think that Utah away was a, I think might have been a little bit of a paper tiger. You know, they were just blowing out all of these horrible teams. And, you know, they could have easily lost to Washington, but they were just trucking everyone. And it looked really impressive, crushing Oregon State. You know, Arizona State and their fifth-string quarterback. You know, Cal and, you know, their fifth-string quarterback, whoever they were playing. Then Arizona and whoever was playing a quarterback. I mean, just all these games, I'm like, I look back, I'm like, eh. And then, you know, against Oregon, they didn't look impressive. They got crushed. Texas, meanwhile, has dealt with so many injuries all year, so I think that they're probably going to be as healthy as they've been all season. Uh, you know, I don't know how much Utah cares. The motivation is a questionnaire because they were so close to winning and getting into the college football playoff. You know, winning a Pac-12 championship. Now you're going and you're, you're not even playing like a major bowl. I mean, you're playing Texas, you know, in Texas. So I think Texas will be up for this. This is a spot where Herman has historically had his team up for. You can go into all the stats about him as an underdog. Uh, But it also looks like Colin Johnson is going to play. Duvernay is going to play. So I just think this Texas team is a little undervalued. I know that they'll care, and I'm just not sure. Good shot here. Utah might come out a little flat. But you're going to you're going to tell me all about the number and why you
2: love well, so good. I mean, yeah, I do make Utah minus 10 and a half. And, and generally, I would pay attention to that and say that we need to take this number here on, on a key number of seven. And but the problem is, is Utah has a bunch of missing pieces from the secondary, including Julian Blackman. But I mean, there's there's a couple other pieces that they've lost. That's huge. Did you watch the Oregon game right after he went out? Blackman is as big to the Utah secondary as Sean Wade was last night to Ohio State. That's how big of a he's such a huge havoc maker on this team. For the fact of him not to be playing, it really ha- ha- I have a little bit of pause on back at Utah here. You know, Zach Moss and Tyler Huntley are playing in this game. They should be able to take advantage of what's been a soft Texas defense the entire year. I mean, it, it matters that Tom Herman fired his defensive coordinator and he demoted his offensive coordinator to quarterback coach. So I'm not really sure who's calling plays on both sides of the ball. Uh, but, you know, you're right, Duvernay and, and Colin Johnson playing, uh, that's a huge threat to the Utah secondary uh Alan Grish had plenty of excess hitting those guys downfield and he can take off and he can, you know, run on third down, although the front seven of uh, Utah looks like they're going to play and they're one of the f- most ferocious in all of college football. But it looks like, you know, if Herman decides to just pass all day, they're, they're going to have plenty of success. Uh, you know, the total is shy of what I projected at 61. Uh, you know, Utah's missing pieces in the secondary. Kind of makes me want to make this look at the over because I do like that Zach Moss and Tyler Huntley are playing as a soft Texas defense, and Utah is missing its secondary pieces that are the most important. So I think for me right now, the play that I want to have is the over. Uh, I, I may consider Texas and joining you at 7.5. Oh, baby! L- listen, you have to throw the power ranking out. When, when, I can feel it
1: coming in the air tonight.
2: Utah's secondary was so important to their success this year. And and to be missing all the – I mean, more than more than just Blackman. There's other players that aren't playing for them. So, uh, you know, there may be a Texas play that goes in on the app, but I definitely like the over.
1: Ring in the new year with the horns with me. All right, so that is the, that will be the last game of 2019. Um, let's move on to 2020 on New Year's Day when you're all sitting around hungover on the couch. It's a great day to just lounge and eat and enjoy some college football. We will get things started on Wednesday, January 1st with Michigan, Alabama. Uh, there were some questions about who would be out for Alabama. It looks like their entire offense is going to go. Obviously not, too. You have Mac Jones in there. Uh, but on their defensive side, Diggs is not playing as well as the other corner, as well as Lewis, their outside linebacker. So defense takes a little bit of a hit. Um, you know, I, what this comes down to, to me, is I think there's some value on Michigan. And there's a lot of people that think that there's value on Alabama. But I don't, you know, I have the difference between two and Mac Jones is just almost a touchdown now. And a lot of people are like, it's only two to three points. I don't know how people make that case. Um, and then, you know, you take some of these Alabama injuries on defense, a defense that wasn't as dominant as a normal Alabama defense, then throw in the fact that Alabama's special teams stink. Um, as always. They can't punt and they can't kick field goals. Not good. And, you know, then throwing the fact that there's motivation questions here. I mean, every time you see Alabama in a bowl game in recent years, you know, this is, this is a team that's, hey, we're supposed to go to the college football playoff. So, are they really going to care about the Citrus Bowl against Michigan? And we saw a couple of years ago when they played Oklahoma, and they just got trucked. So I think there's motivation questions here. I think Michigan will obviously care. This is Alabama. You know, this is Harbaugh trying to just get a huge win. So I think they can have some success moving the ball. This is an offense that improved dramatically throughout the season in a new scheme. So, you know, with another month of prep, I think that's only going to help that offense even
2: more. So uh, I like, the Wolverines here. You agree? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I like Michigan here, too. Uh, the By the way, this
1: thing won't fucking move over off the seven. I just want to get a nah. seven and a half and it.
2: Yeah, I'd love to get a seven and a half, too. And I think that's what's kept me hesitant on this, is that I do want to take the Wolverines here. Uh, if I have to settle for a seven, so be it. But, uh, you know, I've been waiting for the announcement that Alabama's – you know, going to be missing Waddle and Judy and and Ruggs and all these other players, and it just hasn't come down yet. I hate to say this, but it seems like Judy, like once they lost that game uh, against LSU, it seemed like there was a couple players, I would say Judy in particular, that weren't running plays all the way out, weren't blocking as much and not extending themselves for cat. I mean, it just seemed like thoughts of moving on to the next level were kind of creeping into some of the players heads after they lost that game against LSU cuz it did it just didn't ever look like the same Alabama team afterwards but the defense can be taken advantage of up front and that's exactly where Michigan's going to have a whole bunch of success if you listen to the motivating factors for Michigan, they're completely prepped up to come down and win this game. Harbaugh knows that he's got to get he's got to get one of these victories. I mean, you've taken New Year's Day losses to what South Carolina to, to you had some pretty embarrassing losses to the SEC. You know, Michigan has it in the trench offensively to take advantage of this really soft defensive front for Alabama, and then on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, you know, uh, Don Brown running uh, what he does in the secondary has burned him in the past against Ohio State. So it's interesting to see if he goes man or if he goes zone here against Alabama and Mac Jones. I make the projection on this for Action Network at, at five. So I think there is value. We're getting the term value here, which means I think the number will move. I think there's value on seven. Uh, I think it'll possibly dip as we get closer to, to kick. So I think if you can get a seven or a seven and a half, that's the play to go. Uh, I like the under in this game because if I like Michigan in this game, that means they're going to dictate. Pace and they're going to grind it out. And, and uh, so I like the under and I like Michigan on the points. Yep, I agree on the Wolverines.
1: All right, let's move on on New Year's Day to a, another SEC Big Ten matchup at 1 Eastern. So I'll have two of them going at the same time. I'm sure, Twitter will be electric to bring in the new year uh, with the SEC versus Big Ten. Two games at the same time. Alabama, Auburn. That's pretty be a nice early afternoon slate on the couch. Uh, Let's talk about Auburn, Minnesota here. Auburn is – and both of them are right around the same spread. Auburn is a 7-7-ish seven, point favorite uh, over under 53.5. This thing has ticked up a little bit. Um, you know, when I look at this game, I say – Bo Nix season in full effect. I think both teams will care. Um, so I don't think this is a, an Alabama – scenario. Um, It's not like Auburn had, you know, was like, Hey, we're going to win this game. We're going to go to the college football playoff, you know? And I think that they're still a really young team. Um, Nick Coe sitting on one of their star defensive linemen, which is something to note. You know, if you look at from a a total perspective, I said, all right, Auburn, I don't think that they're going to be able to pass much against this Minnesota secondary, which is their strength on defense. I, I think that they might be able to run a little bit and, That's where they're going to focus. And then on the other side, Minnesota is a snail. Uh But, you know, I really like the Auburn defense. But Auburn does play really fast. So, I was struggling with this total. You know, I was trying to figure out a player. But I'm going to make the number kind of around – I actually made it closer to where it opened, around 51-52. Now it's a 53.5. I was trying to make a case for the under. I couldn't. So, I don't know. This line – looks about right to me, and the total looks about right to me, so I don't have much here. It yeah. might be a live betting game for me. What, what do you see with minnesota over I,
2: I think it's going to be a live betting game for me, too. I'm not going to have probably any money on this game going into it, just under the fact that our action network projection makes it seven, and the game sits on seven. My total makes it 56, and at 53 and a half, we're trending on our way up to 56. I don't know how, you know, Minnesota losing their offensive coordinator to go be Penn State's yeah, that's offensive coordinator. Yeah, I was going to mention. Yeah, I'm not really sure if he's, you know, is he coaching this game? If he's not, and what is the game plan for Minnesota really? Because it's been Tanner Morgan just throwing deep, throwing deep, throwing deep and Auburn's going to be able to defend that. So, you know, Auburn's what 12th in passing success, defensive passing success, rate, And they've been 31st against an opponent explosiveness through the air. And, you know, a big, there's a big mismatch here in havoc too. I mean, Auburn's top 20 in havoc and they still got Derek Brown on the defensive line. Uh, and, You know, and Minnesota hasn't been the best at protecting the ball. Not to mention Minnesota's offensive line is, I mean, that's one reason they got them in big trouble this year. Their offensive line's 112th in sack rate and protecting Tanner Morgan, which has shown when they've stepped up in level of competition. Uh, And even though Auburn isn't the best sack rate team in in the nation, they are still an SEC defensive line with Derrick Brown, who's going to be top 10 in the NFL draft. Uh, So that's definitely something to look out for. The biggest matchup on paper that I can see, is that Minnesota's top 10 in finishing drives offensively and Auburn is top 10 defensively in finishing drives. So it's going to be real battle yeah. there to see if Minnesota can get points up. For me, this That's is, basically what, what it came out of me is
1: that that, I think, will determine the total. Yeah. That's basically what the total will come down to. I think Minnesota will have some success moving the ball with their receivers, although Auburn is an extremely good defense. But in the red zone, if Minnesota, you know, once they get in even the 40-30, if Minnesota can get touchdowns, and that top 10 off ranking on offense trumps the Auburn's top 10 ranking on defensive finishing drives, the game will probably go over. Minnesota will probably cover. If Auburn is stopping them, the game will probably go under. Auburn will probably cover. And the reason for that – reason why that's even bigger is Minnesota's field goal kicker stinks. Um, nope. So if they're, if they're stopping Minnesota, you know, at the 20, 25, and then you're getting missed field goals on top of that, there goes the total and the, and the spread. Everything is determined right right in that zone.
2: And Minnesota special teams is horrific. They're ninety three in special teams SP plus one hundred sixth in field goal kicking, one hundred twenty first in kickoff return, one hundred first in punt return. Minnesota special teams is pretty bad, and they can't protect the quarterback. They can't protect Tanner Morgan on the offensive line. So I think that's a real reason for me to just stay off this game. Yeah, yeah. The Albert offensive line should be able to get a push up front. Um, that is the
1: the weakness of the Minnesota defense. But I agree, the number is about right. It'll come down to those those red zone. I mean, once Minnesota is in Auburn territory, what happens? Right. Uh, all right, so let's move on to uh, the third game on New Year's Day. Uh, this is the Rose Bowl at five Eastern. They should have staggered that Mich- the Michigan-Bama and
2: Minnesota-Auburn, by the way. Mm-hmm. It was around some family that recorded a game, and they wanted to wait and start watching the game at halftime. And that, I mean, have you ever tried to live bet a game when when your family decides they want to be have it on delay and and just watch it later so that they can skip through commercials. It was it was a lot of fun. That's hilarious. I, I could never do that. I'd, it, be it was paid, I'd be I'd be looking
1: I'd be looking on the app and you have to stay off Twitter, you have to throw your phone out the out the window. Um, and
2: you have to be social with your family.
1: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's brutal. All right. So Rose Bowl, Wisconsin three point favorite over sure. Oregon, uh, over under fifty one and a half. Here's a game where I think we'll disagree. I mean, what this comes down to to me, uh, these two teams are Mirrors like everywhere I look, I'm like, these are you know two really good defenses, two you know extremely solid offensive lines, you know they I, they just everywhere I look I, I you know Oregon does play a little faster than Wisconsin. I mean Wisconsin's one of the slowest teams in the country, one hundred and twenty eight seconds per play. they're both shitty special teams, but you know wherever I look, I just think that these teams are so evenly matched, and that's why. I have it, not surprisingly, as a pick. So that makes me want to back Oregon just because I'm getting a field goal. Now, if it was two and a half, I probably right. wouldn't like it. But I think these teams are so evenly matched across the board. You know, like one of the biggest weakness of Wisconsin's defense, defending rush explosiveness, Oregon's not really explosive for running. And then everywhere you look on Oregon defensive side, they match up well with Wisconsin. Like it's – I mean, this is just a – it's just like a – when an immovable force meets a –
2: Fuck, what is that saying? That's the wrestling term. It's the irresistible force against the immovable object. Hulk Hogan and Ultimate Warrior. Yes, there it is. Uh, All right. So this is like
1: when an immovable object meets an unstoppable force. That's what it is. Irresistible Uh, force. Okay. Well,. I think it's unstoppable force versus immovable object in non WWE terms, but whatever you get my point. So these kids are just, it's a coin flip to me. So I just want to take the three, but I don't have any like strong conviction as to like, all right, this is the difference. And maybe, you know, one of the things that I I think at the end of the day, I would take Herbert over Comb, but I mean, Herbert has lost a couple of his weapons this season and I think that it's hurt their offense a little bit but this is basically what it comes down to is this is such an even matchup to me that
2: I make the line exactly a pick I think you do too right yeah I make it a pick and that's why I was able to get on Wisconsin at a pick when bowl lines first opened and uh, you know now that it's out to three when it gets to three and a half for those of you that are able to get Wisconsin pick I'm going to come back and take Oregon at three and a half if it ever gets there uh, and but, really- but, but
1: you make it a pick and then you played Wisconsin a pick
2: were you yeah. playing that because you thought it would move or do you
1: like something.
2: I, I absolutely thought the market would move in the direction of Wisconsin, so I was happy to take it at a pick and then make a decision later on whether I'm going to come back because there's a lot of players on both teams that could have declared for the NFL. Coaches could have been on the move. I mean, so much happens between these bowl lines first come out to the time that this was going to be played on New Year's Day. Uh, a lot of news could have came out, but I was going to be coming back on Oregon anyways. Once it got over a field goal, I just knew that the market was going to move that way. But like Stuck says, I mean, I think these are two very well evenly matched teams. Uh, to me, the, the reason why I played Wisconsin, not only because I thought the market was going to move in the direction of Wisconsin, uh, I did it because I knew that they would have an advantage in running, running Jonathan Taylor because Oregon is 50th defensively in stuff rate. They're 59th in sack rate. They're 29th in power success rate. And they're 27th in line yards. Guess what? Wisconsin is better in all those categories on offense which means Jonathan Taylor is going to be able to get the ball get to the line of scrimmage and he's going to be able to pick up two or three yards and that's a huge difference that's for Wisconsin what sets up Jack Cohn for him to be throwing on standard downs for him to be throwing on third downs is he's going to have good field position in regard to the first down marker every single time on Wisconsin's drives I expect him to be in standard downs a lot more than I expect him to be in passing downs uh, just because of those stats and if you go and look at You know, Oregon, they're 128th in field goal efficiency, 111th in SP plus special teams. Uh, So I was comfortable laying Wisconsin at the pick, but I am saying I am coming back at three and a half on Oregon. Yep. I mean, Wisconsin special teams are terrible too, but not not as bad. All right.
1: um, Let's move on to the last game on New Year's Day. And this is a game that I love. Um, And if you are Moneyline Parlay piece will be out by the time you're listening to this. Uh, Baylor is my money line parlay It's just like they were last year during gold season. That, number one, this is a great spot for rule for your trend players. He's just dominant as an underdog, dominant on the road on neutral fields. He's 29 15 1 against the spreader on the road or on a neutral field, 33 15 against the spread as an underdog. He's the second, rule's the second most profitable coach among 527 coaches in our BetLads database since 2005. He will – I mean, he's just a great – you know, he he's, he's kind of like Herman in the fact that when he's an underdog, he's going to have his troops ready. So Baylor will be prepared here. This is a team that just won, more, you know, what, one game a couple years ago? This is a really important game for them, for the program. Um, I have no doubt that they'll be ready. Brewer is, you know, if it was throwing with the ones yesterday. He's been cleared to play, so I expect him to play. And then, you know, on the other side of the ball is, you know, and I made, I made this line before any of these adjustments. I like Baylor plus seven and a half. Uh-huh. And that's why I took plus seven and a half. And, you know, now I still like Baylor plus five and a half because of Georgia's entire team is out. I mean, this is getting ridiculous. So, number one, before we even get to that, there was questions about their motivation. Like this is, they're playing in the same bowl just like last year against a big 12 opponent after having their hopes and dreams shattered of going to a college football playoff. And it might even be worse this year because they were like, we're going to get revenge in the SC championship. We're going back. And no, they're back in the same sugar bowl against a big 12 opponent. It's just the same shit. I mean, so, mm-hmm. so you say, all right, well, maybe we, you know, Kirby will have his team ready because, and they'll learn from last year and they'll care this year. Well, well, Let's take a look now. <laughs> All-American all American left tackle, Andrew Thomas, will go in the first round. Out. He's out. Yep. Uh, the right tackle, who's going to play in the NFL, and this is one of the best offensive lines in the well, It's the strength of their team. Starting right tackle, Isaiah Wilson. No, out. I'm sitting out too. Yep. Uh, starting guard, Ben Cleveland, academically ineligible. Out. Three starting offensive linemen, out, including their two tackles, their two best players. Hey, how about how about a receiver? No, nope. Cager and Blaylock and season-ending injuries. And their offense, you know, without – well, you know, without Cagers, it's just been a mess throwing the ball. How about the running backs? Well, they might all their backs. I don't even know who's playing, but all all their backs might be out.
2: I, I still don't know on Swift. Have we heard on Swift? Injury, questionable. Doughty plays. Out. Yeah, Doughty plays. I mean, why would he?
1: Yeah, there's others that might play, including James Cook, who got pulled over with a brandy. We had a bottle of brandy and a gun in his car. So, I mean, you could. this is how this team is serious. This team is taking this game. You got kids driving around with brandy and guns. You have other kids who are academically ineligible, and then the rest are just sitting out for the NFL draft. So – you know, the defense will is mostly intact, right, I think, at least for now. So I think that their defense will probably show up, and they'll make some plays. They'll make it difficult on Baylor. But I think Baylor will make enough plays on offense. Just the motivational dispatch. And this Georgia offense, which was pretty ugly throughout the year, they have no explosiveness already. Now they're out, without the receivers, their biggest strength was their offensive line. Now their whole offensive line is out. Their backs are all out. I mean, and this Baylor defense continued to impress me all season long. So – I'm trusting rule here. I'm try, You know, you want to talk about special teams? Georgia does have a huge advantage in special teams. One of the best special teams units in all of college football. Baylor's special teams subpar, but other than that, I mean, I think Baylor will be ready here. I'm not sure about Georgia. And all, what they might have like eight, seven, eight guys out from their starting their first team offense.
2: It's crazy. So I like I like Baylor anything over a field goal. As you're talking, I think I'm going to place a bet on the under. Uh, I mean, <laughs> you listen to all these missing pieces, and the, the fact that the Georgia defense is still pretty much intact and the Baylor defense is intact, these two teams, from a defensive finishing drive standpoint, rank number one for Georgia and number 10 for Baylor. So once you get past the 40-yard line, it's imp- it's pretty hard to score points against these guys, and, you know, considering how inept Georgia's offense is anyways, they got barely anybody to throw to. How can can you really trust any of this as far as a a stuff rate and a power success rate goes when the offensive line is... Coming in, you know, brand new and un- unexperienced. Uh, I think this is going to be and a both
1: defenses. Th- neither gives up big plays.
2: No, not Are at all. Good? Yeah, yeah. We're talking Baylor's top ten against uh, pass explosiveness. Not like Georgia can exploit that whatsoever. Uh, Baylor's top twenty-five in defending rush explosiveness. It's not like Georgia can exploit any of that without DeAndre Swift. Uh, you look at the other side of the ball, and Georgia's top twenty-five in defending explosive plays. Also, so uh, you know, the fact that they're both top ten in finishing drives, it's a complete dead nut under, and the motivation factors that come in. You know, Baylor may be motivated, but could they put up a a 28, you know, 30 points on on, on Georgia? I'm not really sure they could. Right. So I think this is an underplay. I think I'm going to put it in here while we're uh, podcasting. But um, this Georgia team in general, though, like just from stepping back, because we're probably not going to talk about Georgia again until next July or August. I think Kirby knows that his brand of offense is not going to survive the way that the SEC is going. I think he looks at what Joe Brady looks at Joe Brady at LSU. He looks at how Saban has gone to a passing offense long ago. I I think Kirby's got to take a step back and look at Coley and look at what he's doing uh, with his offensive scheme. And he's got to change everything because he's not going to survive in the SEC. And I think Dan Mullen realizes that. And Dan Mullen's already on the path to having a passing offense. And and we'll see what he does as far as a running game goes. But, uh, you know, Kirby's got to step back and reevaluate the way that he's coaching his Georgia team because it looks like the rest of the SEC is going in a different direction and going to pass him by. All
1: right. So, yeah, I mean, I could, I, I think, you know, Baylor wins this game like 2017. That's my guess. All right. So let's move on to January 2nd on Thursday. Uh, these these bowl games are awful by the way, on Thursday. Um, I mean, I would love them if I loved something, but uh, as of now, I still have to dig a little bit on Thursday. I'm pretty caught up through January 1st, but you know, let's, we'll, we'll go through these very quickly. Um, on Thursday, the first game, BC Cincy, this is a three Eastern uh, Cincy is laying seven. This is in Birmingham. Uh, you know, the, the, think the note here, but what I found interesting is that, you know, I look at some other projections, they make it higher, you make it lower, and this is kind of right in the middle. Boston College's star running back, now they are – they do have another really good back, but their star running back, A.J. Dillon, is going to play in the NFL. He's sitting out. They also had a coaching change. You know, when I look at this B.C. defense, their pass defense, probably have the worst pass defense among any bowl teams, well, outside of Georgia State, who's bad at everything. But their pass defense is terrible. But since he's not – you know, they're not a great passing offense. And then – on the other side, just how much does Dylan's loss hurt this offense? Uh, it's a really good offensive line that can, I think, get a little bit of push on Cincinnati. So, you know, those are the things that I see at first glance. It is worth noting the Boston College special teams also stink since these special teams are really good, especially their punter. They have a really good punter. And then from a pace perspective, since he plays slow in Boston College, even though they have a really good offensive line, even though they can't really pass the ball, you know, their quarterback's been out for the year, they're down to, you know, Grossell. They play really fast from a pace perspective. They're top five in seconds per play. Uh, so, you know, this isn't a game from when the bowls came out that I said, oh, I, I love this matchup. And, and there's some questions with Boston College. Uh, also with Cincy, uh, are they motivated here for this Birmingham Bowl? I don't know. Odd game to me. It'll probably stay away. Do you see anything here?
2: Uh, I do think Boston College has the advantage in the trench offensively. They still have the Bailey kid uh, to run the ball. And he's, you know, at times been effective. And then at times this season, he's been completely uh, a no-show for some of these games. Uh, but Boston College should have the advantage in the trench offensively against a Cincinnati defense who's outside the top 100 in power success rate. So uh, just to clarify, we have our projection set at four and a half. I don't think the loss of Adasio, a coach from BC, is going to affect the point spread whatsoever. So at four and a half, I'm definitely looking to take this Boston College Team at seven and a half. I have no problems with that. What needs to be taken into consideration is that Cincinnati is not a fast paced offense whatsoever. They're 83rd in seconds per play. But if you look at Boston College, Dazio was up tempo, you know, fast, 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 up to the line. Let's go, let's go. Well, he's not there anymore. So we don't really know what the offensive speed is going to be for this team or how it's going to be called or, or how they how, – you know. I mean, it could be – I have no clue what's going to line up and, and try to run here or how fast they're going to do it. And right now it looks like there's a, like an 80% chance of heavy rain in this game taking all that into consideration, you know, the total, I make it exactly where it's at at 55 and a half. There's some steam up to 56 in other places, but I'm going to take an under in this game. You want to get to 57. Fine. I'll take it. I mean, as many key numbers as you can cross, I'll take it, but I'm going to take the under in this game because I don't think Boston college's pace of play is going to translate from what they did all season under Adazio into this game. Cincinnati runs a slow pace anyways. And if they have that backup quarterback in, there may be a little bit more running than there was generally with, with Desmond Ritter. I think it's a slower pace game. I'm looking at the under, and I'm going to take Boston College over seven. All right. Then, before we get out of here,
1: last game, it's another Big Ten SEC matchup. Uh, Tennessee and Indiana in the Gator Bowl. Uh, this game is on Thursday night at 7 Eastern in Jacksonville on ESPN. Tennessee, one and a half, two, two and a half point favorite, somewhere under a field goal, depending on where you look. Over under 52 ish, 52 and a half. It's been on the rise. Uh, what do you see here?
2: Yeah, as, as far as this game goes, I, I do like Indiana in this game. I'm just waiting on some more steam to come in. Uh, I make this game essentially a pick. So the one and a half on Tennessee, I think, is just some steam on brand name alone. Uh, I do like Indiana in this game. Uh, oh, some... Can
1: Indiana beat a team with a winning record? That is the <laughs>
2: Like I feel like they just beat every
1: team that's, that's a losing record and can never get over the hump against Ooh, the
2: winning team. When you get to campus in Bloomington, there really should be a sign that says, can we beat a team with a winning record?
1: Yes, that's, be, that's, um, that's the question with
2: them. <laughs> but, I mean, is beating Tennessee really that great? But I don't know. Well, I mean, Tennessee, I mean, they, they definitely have a, a tougher strength of schedule. Uh, they rank in the top 30 with what they've had to play in the SEC, which kind of deflates some of the numbers. That they have, but they have And they close
1: the year strong. You got to give them credit. They close the year strong. They close the
2: year strong, but Tennessee's really good at stopping uh, passes over twenty and thirty yards. But that's not really Indiana's game. I mean, Indiana it doesn't matter if you know who's in there at quarterback. Uh, they they've really been a highly successful passing attack but they're not really explosive whatsoever. So I think Indiana's going to be able to move the ball. Uh, I think they're going to have some success on offense. Uh, Tennessee hit and miss, depending on who's back there at quarterback, as far as offensively it goes. Both these teams uh, have a better defensive finishing drives rank than they do offensive finishing drives. So I'm not sure how, uh, how many points there's going to be. Um, but, you know, I, I like Indiana in this. I just like to see the spread rise a little bit more and get some steam. It's going to be one of those things where I wait uh, to see which way the number goes. And Indiana is going to be a buy for me if it gets to three with his projected pick.
1: Yeah. The Tennessee, I don't know how good the Tennessee defense is. They think a lot of their numbers are improved. But if you look, they gave up 50 total points in November. Yeah. But. Again, like four schedule. games, but they played They played Kentucky, UAB, Vandy. Missouri, and Vandy's. So I don't know how much I could take from that.
2: It's quite interesting. They're 114th in stuff right on defense, but they're 19th in sack rate. Like, we can't stop anyone in the backfield rushing, but we can get to the quarterback. I, I mean yeah. – <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to
1: dig more into this game. We'll have something uh, in our write-up. We'll be back on Friday. We'll be recording an episode on Thursday. Uh, The episode will come out on Friday for the three bowls over the weekend. We'll have updated thoughts on the national championship. We'll also have updated thoughts on the FCS national championship between JMU and North Dakota State. We'll even mix in some updated NFL playoff thoughts for the weekend, because next weekend we will be wild card weekend in the NFL. Uh, so, thanks for listening. Thanks for joining me, Colin. Go Tagus! I guess it doesn't matter. You can say that and take it for how you will on either side. Subscribe, rate, review—you know the drill. Unsubscribe, subscribe, tell a friend, tell an enemy. But thanks again for listening, as always. And we'll catch y'all later. Cheers. Peace out.
2: It's the morning-
1: If you don't bet on a bowl, does the bowl even exist?